1: Going on, people. Welcome to Paint Points, proudly brought to you by the Tainer Supers Family and the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jake Painting, as usual. You can find me over on at Twitter at Jake Painting, J A K E P A Y N T I N G. Today, we're just going to do some general housekeeping for some Wolves stuff. We'll go over some draft and free agency rumors. We'll do some some draft prototypes that kind of I think we should be looking at, and then. We're, we'll get into a little bit of finals talk and a few comparisons with, with the Los Angeles Lakers and the Miami Heat that might relate back to the Timberwolves in the future. To do all that with me today is Jack Borman, Kane of Super's contributor, the great man himself. What's going on, man?
0: Not much, man. Just another day in this paradise that they call the United States of America. Just <laughs> a living embodiment of the dog surrounded by fire. It's, it's fine, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's it's. I don't think the the Twitter timeline's been popping, you know, like it like it did after the Donald Trump news for quite some time. Shout out to Shams too, by the way. My guy leveled up.
0: I think I don't yeah. know. Is is he? Do are we taking him over Woj now with that?
1: I think I think at some point when you start breaking presidential news, you, you've definitely hit the top rung of reporters.
0: Yeah, it was just a, a, he's got the clutch gene. That's all I'm going to say with with shapes. has got the question.
1: Yeah. Um. So to to start it off with today, I, we'll get into some draft rumors to begin with. Um. The first one is Jonathan Wasserman of Bleacher Report. He's reporting over there that that he's heard from scouts that Lamelo Ball will likely be the pick over Anthony Edwards for the Timberwolves if they do decide to keep it if they can't find a deal to move the number one pick uh, they apparently they feel confused after messing up uh, and trading up for Jarrett Culver last season the article also mentioned that scouts are worried about Anthony Edwards' drive and his enthusiasm for winning which likely means he'll be passed on by Golden State uh, at number two if Minnesota do pass on him as well uh, I think I've got some thoughts on this, I want to know your thoughts I know that you haven't always been the biggest Lamelo Ball uh, proponent but I think that that, yeah, I'd really like to hear your thoughts on, on the Anthony Edwards stuff and what you would think of La- LaMelo Ball eventually ending up with the Timberwolves.
0: Yeah, so I wasn't totally surprised when I heard uh, the Anthony Edwards side of it, just because I think that we've kind of seen a lot of comps from, uh, or for Anthony Edwards uh, to, to Ben Simmons, uh, which I think is interesting, just because they both went to SEC schools that were are, are not known to be good basketball schools whatsoever in, in LSU and Georgia, respectively. Um, they both kind of went there just to hang out for a year, to be the guy, to have it be their own show, um, and, and just kind of be able to do whatever they want on the floor um, while, while uh, you know, being the presumptive number one pick in the draft. Um, and, and obviously Ben Simmons has figured that out, and, and I think that there's not really too many people that, that question his drive. Uh, you know, and I think kind of being linked with LeBron James, like if LeBron's taking you under his wing, I don't think he's just doing that. if. If you don't have some type of of drive in you, so I kind of, I kind of understand that that comp to Ben Simmons a little bit, um, but but with Anthony Edwards, it just kind of looked like he was okay with losing and didn't really, didn't really care that that Georgia just kept losing close games and and letting things slip away in the last five to seven minutes of, of second halves of games, um, and it, and it really wouldn't surprise me to see him drop to three or four, um but but there's no doubt in my mind that that Anthony Edwards is the most talented guy in this draft and has the highest ceiling of any guy in this draft either him in terms of ceiling it's either him or Wiseman um and then as it relates to LaMelo um you know I'm I'm just so out on LaMelo in terms of going to Minnesota just because he he's not good enough without the ball in his hands to make things work playing on the floor with D'Angelo Russell, and I understand that you know we want D'Lo to be off the ball, and I think D'Lo is certainly comfortable playing off the ball to a certain extent, but um, I just don't think that that Lamelo is going to be able to play with D'Lo simply because they're both terrible defenders. Um, you'd hope that because Lamelo's yeah. vision and his eye, his, his his vision and his offensive IQ are, are so high that that some of that would translate to the defensive end of the floor, but, but it, we just haven't seen it in the, in the effort. Simply, is not there. Um, but, but you know, I'm not putting too much stock into, you know, who would the Wolves take number one overall, simply just because I don't think the Wolves are going to be making a selection at number one overall. And if they do end up making a selection at number number one overall, I think the chances that they actually end up trading that selection, whether it be on draft night or um, or shortly thereafter, uh, are are very very high. I I would probably give it a ten or fifteen percent chance, maybe of of the Timberwolves staying at number one, making a selection, and then holding on to that selection. Um, and and then the last thing I'll say here in my little ramble is is just that I, I didn't really understand the whole the Timberwolves are, are confused or um you know what what it, what was the thing it says. Minnesota sounds confused and feels pressure after they messed up last year by trading for Culver. I think, you know, I think there's an argument too made there for messing up trading for Culver just because he was so, he was unplayable for stretches of the year for literally the worst team in the NBA. Um, and, and that's saying something for a guy that you trade up for with with for the, with number six overall. Like, I know that Sarge was gone anyways, but, um, but still, I mean, you could have taken Cam Reddish, you could have taken Kobe White. Um, Guys who I think are going to be far better players than Jarrett Culver when it's all said and done, um, but and, and Culver too probably doesn't really fit in a super up and down pace and space game. I think he fits more in kind of a slower, grinded out, uh, grinded out system where he doesn't need to you know be able to launch threes at, at a crazy clip. Um, but but the whole messing up with Culver and now feeling confused this year, I just I with how smart the front office is, I, I I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in it.
1: Yeah, I th- I think it's it's the kind of it's it's silly season. So all of this stuff, I mean, it's I think it's just I think Wasserman himself is definitely getting this stuff from sources. So I yep. don't think he's making things up by any means. He, he's definitely a credible draft guy, and I do like a lot of the draft stuff that he does. But I think at this stage, a lot of his sources are probably just throwing stuff at the wall and, and hoping it sticks. Like it's it's an easy it's an easy bridge to trust to say, oh, you know, they're they're under pressure. They they feel like they messed up training for Culver because he was quite bad in his first season, and then I think it's also easy to say like, look, they don't want Anthony Edwards; they want the Mellow Ball because at the end of the day, you've probably got a fifty-fifty chance that that if they do keep that pick, they're going to take one of those guys. So it it seems to me like it's all kind of just noise at the moment. There's a lot of smoke screens going on. That's it's definitely a silly season, and to be honest, I, I've warmed I've warmed on the Mellow Ball a lot. Not not necessarily. Lamelo Ball to the Timberwolves, but I've definitely warmed on Lamelo Ball just as a as a player in general. But I think that it's completely reasonable to question his drive and his you know enthusiasm for winning as well. I mean, he was on a terrible team in Australia, which is obviously an easier league. He he didn't seem to impact winning whatsoever. He still you know seemed pretty comfortable losing. He wanted to throw up. You know, forty foot threes at nineteen, you know, with nineteen seconds left on the shot clock. So, I think I think there's no real, there's no real win win situation with this draft, especially at the top. And I think they both harbor, you know, questions about their intensity and their effort and and whether they can contribute to a winning team right away. And that's that's the risk some teams going to have to take on, on one of them two guys and and a lot of other guys in this draft who just don't seem like they are the kind of players who who will live up to you know a top 5 or a top 10 pick but that that's the way the draft is i, I still think edwards is the better fit i think he's got the higher ceiling uh, and i think if, if all breaks right he is the kind he's the kind of prototype which we'll get into in into in a second but he's the kind of prototype that that wins in the nba which is a, a big wing or a big, a big guard who can still handle the ball a bit pass a bit and then obviously get his own as a scorer, so I, I think at the moment all, you take every rumor on the draft with, with a grain of salt and kind of just just keep it moving. Yeah,
0: and I thought it was interesting, um, Lucas C. Hafer of, uh, of A Wolf Among Wolves put out Gers's full quote about, uh, you know, kind of about the draft evaluation process and what Wasserman had to say, and he said, "Quote: I would be very leery of what's out there right now. It's the season of smoke screens and rumors and secondhand information that don't really have any concrete foundation to it. Um, right. Yeah. And and then he followed that up by saying, we go through all the players that we deem as draftable players. We'll evaluate because the draft is very fluid. We're at one seventeen and thirty three, but a trade can change that in a heartbeat. We've got to be able to be prepared to jump in on the board at any moment and pick the players that w- that are going to be best available for us at any point." End quote. Um, so i thought that i thought that what Ger said was good there um but but i but I do think that when you look at kind of um kind of the rest of the league in a sense and, and what they have to think I think it'll be really interesting to see what golden State does um obviously I think they're gonna trade uh, but but for some reason if they end up staying at two um it would be really interesting to see who they decided to go with and kind of like what their view is, just because I think that they've kind of become a measuring stick um, for draft evaluation. I, and they've been they haven't been quite as good in, in the last couple of years, but that front office is just so damn smart. And uh, and I think a lot of people kind of look to them as as the model example of <laughs> of kind of what what you know what to think about these prospects. And I thought it was interesting that the words kind of come out that they're not really high on either Lamelo Ball or. Anthony Edwards, and I don't think that's just because you know this draft isn't great or, or whatnot. I think it's just that those two still have so many question marks as prospects. Um, yeah, and I think the whole—I think it's just going to be really interesting to see who trades up and, and wants to take a bet on on either of these two guys. Um, and and, I, and to be honest with you, I I would rather roll the dice and, and trust you know Rossas and and Such and Gupta to. You know, work work out some type of trade to to move down or or acquire, to move down and acquire future assets, or just all go all in and and try and get a Ben Simmons, even if it costs D'Lo or or, or someone like that, uh, just because I I trust them more to work the work the trades and 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 net a positive yield through trades than they do through the draft, but but we'll see on that. So.
1: Yeah, I I I agree with you, and I think. I still think the most likely situation is that they trade down and they don't bring back a really, you know, sexy big name player in the asset in the in the trade but they get themselves an asset for the future, maybe a 21 pick or maybe, you know, a, a veteran player who can still give you 25 to 30 minutes a game and then get a pick that's still in the top 10, maybe like the, you know, 6 to 10 range or or maybe even like the the eleven to fifteen range and you get yourself a decent pick next year. I still think that's the most uh likely scenario, but I also am beginning to think that them keeping the pick is, is more likely than I gave it credit for at the start, just because I I'm not a hundred percent sure. Obviously I don't know any inside information about this, but I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure if if the deal that gets proposed to them or a deal that someone will accept will be up to the standard that they want. And I do think that they are comfortable taking someone if they have to, because if you take Anthony Edwards and he turns out to be really good, then you, you can either keep him or you can flip him again. And I just think that, which which is a good thing for me, because I don't think that they're going to just take a deal for the sake of taking a deal and, and bringing in a player just because they're they're worried about you know messing up again or or anything like that. I just think that they will. Take the best player available. If they think that Anthony Edwards is better than anything that they can get, then I think they'll take him. And I'm starting to believe that might be a little bit more likely than what I first gave it credit for.
0: Yeah, and I think too it'll be interesting to see if if Gerson kind of calls calls the bluff of the of the fire that that Doogie kind of started with with the whole "cats as good as gone" thing. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that affects the way that this front office operates because i think coming into this draft process after the season um i think we're all kind of expecting the timberwolves to take things slow and not not feel any pressure to have to win right away or make any short-sighted moves or try and try and make the biggest swing possible whether it be you know foregoing just a ton of assets down the road to to try and get a booker or a beal or a simmons or someone like that um because, because, you know, when you talk about, you know, I think it's more likely that, that the Wolves end up taking a ball or an Edwards. Uh, to me, that says that the Wolves are more comfortable with losing more games this upcoming season. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, I think Ball and, and Edwards are two, you know, terrifically talented players, but. Uh, but I just don't know how much they're going to contribute. They're not
1: gonna. They're not gonna be good next. Yeah, season. I don't
0: think they're gonna move the needle that much next season. I think how no. how how far the needle is moved next season. I think will have a lot to do with a Jared Culver and Josh Okogie shooting is, is the is the primary yeah. thing for me. Has the offensive game yeah. for each of those guys evolved to a point where, um, you can just get good ancillary shooting and you can, and you can at least provide some type of offensive punch when they're out there with the bench unit. Um, because if, if it's not, then I think you're going to have to bring <clears throat> Beasley off the bench and just let him cook, uh, let him cook with the bench, to be honest. Uh, but, but going back to my original point, um, you know, who knows? Maybe Rosas has had a bunch of conversations with Kat and Kat feels really good about one of these prospects and, and wants to, wants to see it through with a baller in Edwards or a Wiseman or clean Hayes or whoever it may be um but yeah i I still just can't imagine this team would hold on to the number one pick um just because i i think that you know and i was talking with dane about this too is like the the wolves were handed a gift we all expected them to have seven or eight and what are you going to do with the gift are you going to just like try and get a, a, a marginally better player and in a baller or an Edwards compared to a hazer of a cell, or are you going to try and turn that newfound acid into more? And I think trying to turn it into more just makes the most sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, and uh, when I say that I think it's more likely, I still don't think it's the likeliest situation, and I don't think it's the one that I prefer, but I don't know, something inside me just just feels like one of them guys are going to end up on Minnesota and I'm not sure how I feel about it. I do like them both in the long term, but like you said, they won't be better next year. They, they'll probably be better just because the guys who are already on the roster will improve. Plus but, you'll have cap you know,
0: I think I mean, you, you, yeah, you people forget yeah. that we had to watch fucking Jeff Teague and and Allen <laughs> Crab and Travion Graham and oh yeah. Yeah.
1: So they're, they're definitely going to be better than, you know, a 22 win team or whatever they were on Pace for this season before the the season shut down, but I don't think that I think if anyone's expecting Anthony Edwards or Melo Ball to come in and be Ja Morant or, you know, that level of player where they they instantly can turn a team around and be a, a plus on both ends, I think that's uh that's getting ahead of yourself a little bit because both of those guys are going to be significant minuses on defense immediately and very streaky offensive players who will probably show flashes, you know, of being really good and have games where you're like, wow, you know, Anthony Edwards is gonna be a really good player, but then when you watch him on a nightly basis, he's probably gonna be one of those guys who are really frustrating and and he's gonna need time to grow. I, I think Anthony Edwards will end up a really good player, not not a superstar, maybe not even a star, but I do have faith that he'll be a good player. But it's not going to be in year one. I yeah, think. and I
0: think something else that, that's going to be interesting to monitor to, or that you have to think about is, like, with Ball and Edwards, it's not like coming into a situation in Minnesota, like, it'll be okay for them to just be shitty on defense. Like, the Wolves yeah, are so yeah. bad on defense to, like, to a point where you can't almost can't afford to bring in more negative defenders and then just say, oh, well, then we'll just have to trade Josh Akogi and Jarrett Culver to go get an off another offensive star, like superstar. You know
1: what I mean? Yeah, I think that, and that's and and that's why it's the opposite to to a lot of places that that high draft picks normally get taken as well. Because offensively, it, it is the opposite. Like they are able to come in and and play through their mistakes a little bit and, and play in a a lesser role because you have Towns and and Russell and Beasley and guys like that. But then defensively, like you pretty much need to be at least an average defender or or you're just going to make the team worse immediately, no matter what, no matter how good the offense is around. And that's
0: why you just trade down and draft Isaac Okoro and never look back.
1: I just, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I've I've got all Isaac Okoro thoughts today that we'll get into as well. Oh
0: boy. Do we have Okoro thoughts? I, I can't (laughs) wait.
1: Um, so we'll move on from the draft just for a minute and then we'll get back into it a little bit after this, but, um, more rumors flying around. Obviously there's the Ben Simmons stuff, Rashad Phillips, who's known for his questionable takes and his questionable um sourced information, but the one that, that is kind of doing the rounds today is from Legion Hoops Ross, who uh runs the page Legion Hoops. I'm not a hundred percent where how reliable he is or not. Like obviously all this stuff is kind of subjective unless it's, you know, shams or, or woes or or Mark Stain or something like that. So, he has said Minnesota will express interest in Nets three-point assassin Joe Harris in free agency, per, per source. Uh, I think, obviously, we will just discussing this off-air, obviously, I think they will definitely have interest in him. I think a lot of team, every team almost, around the league who can afford him will have interest in him. My question is, can they afford him? Is he a mid-level exception guy? probably in, in in this market I think he probably gets a little bit less than than someone like Beasley just because he's a bit older I think he's a obviously a great great three point shooter I'm not sure whether he's the guy I would really want them to spend the mid level exception on not that he's not a really good player and that he wouldn't make this team better but I just think back to what we were just talking about before is that at some point you need to spend money or assets or resources on guys who really make a different a difference defensively. And I think Joe Harris is not a turnstile. I think he's not a terrible, terrible defender. He's but he's also not defender. a guy who I don't think he's a
0: plus defender. Yeah. I don't think he's a minus defender. Which is certainly an upgrade uh from from, you know, a Malik Beasley or an Andrew Wiggins or um, you know, a, 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 a Jared Teague. Culver or Jeff Teague on the wing. Um at least right now. Um, and I, I don't know. I think, I think about it this way with, with Joe Harris. Um, I, I would, I would be all in on, 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 throwing the most, uh, on throwing the full mid-level at Joe Harris, just because I think, you know, when you start looking at, um, when you start looking at, you know, guys that you could potentially throw the full mid-level at, I mean, the list is just so small, in my opinion, like Marcus Morris yeah. is going to go on and go play for a contender. Mason plumley is a guy that would be interesting to bring here, but isn't likely to fetch much money like Jordan Clarkson, do you want to bring him in or uh Solomon Hill or a Mo Harkless or you know a Myers I a think, Myers yeah. like some of these and, other guys just like aren't going to be as marginally impactful as a Joe Harris could be and I think that if you bring in a guy like Joe Harris I would start Joe Harris without a doubt I'd play him next to next to Delo because of the history that those two have um and, and the yeah. lineups with those two in the lineup um we're we're not terrib- we're not terrible defensively, uh, whatsoever. Which which I think was was really interesting because, you know, when you have a guy like D'Angelo Russell playing at the, at the point of attack, and uh, and you see just kind of this chunky white guy at the two, you wouldn't ex- that just shoots threes like you wouldn't exactly, um, you wouldn't exactly think that, that guys like that would, would be able to hold their own defensively. Um, but here, let let me pull it up really quick. I ha- I have it in front of me here, I just have to have to find it super quick.
1: With with these yeah, two guys. And, then, but- and while you're doing that and while you doing that, it's I think the difference between him and Beasley is that obviously the the I think Harris is a bit more uh, sec- uh technically sound, but also the size, like I'm not sure off the top of my head how big Joe Harris is, but Beasley's six four or at the most, so yeah. Like that extra few inches you get from Harris at the two guard is really important. Yeah, you know whether he is this athletic freak or not. Like Beasley's athletic, but but Harris is longer and, and more sound. Yeah, Harris is
0: six, six, 220. So, I mean, he's yeah, he's that's, like, to, that's a big yeah. He, yeah. Um,
1: that's a big two guard, right?
0: And so, so I have it here in front of me for cleaning the glass. Um, so uh, any any lineup that featured Harris and D'Angelo Russell last year. Offensively, they were in the 80th percentile, in effective field goal percentage, and um, they were in the 41st percentile offensively at 109 points per 100 possessions. On defense, they were were in the 57th percentile uh, with 110 points per 100 possessions and they were in the 93rd percentile in terms of free throw rate. I think a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that Jared Allen was playing out there with them, but um yeah. but even if that comes down to like the 65th or 70th percentile, I mean that's still a huge hike up for the Wolves.
1: Uh, and to be in the mid 50s, you know, in defensive efficiency, like that's even no matter who's around you, like that's a really good um outcome for for a Harris and Russell back. Yeah,
0: forward. and I mean the best lineup that that the two of them were involved in was a was a lineup that featured Russell, Allen Crab, <laughs> Allen Crab, uh, Joe,
1: who's been washed on defense for yeah, years. Yeah, Joe
0: Harris and then R- Ronda Ellis Jefferson and Jarrett Allen, uh, who's yeah. another guy. Who's that, another guy that, that I think the Wolves should try and trade for, but that's a different conversation. Um, so yeah, Ellis Jefferson or Allen uh, Allen, but. But yeah, my, main, yeah. my main point was that Harris is not as bad of a defender as a lot of people would think he is. And the t- and he and Dilo yeah. were just so dangerous together offensively. Um, and then if you could, if I mean, if you could trot out a lineup that featured D'Angelo Russell, Joe Harris, Malik Beasley, Josh Akogi, and Kat, I think that would be one fun lineup. Because, I mean, Josh is, what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six six yeah. But, I mean, he's got, like, a 6'10 wingspan. And I mean, he just plays Played way bigger. Big, He's yeah, he a seven foot wingsman. He plays way bigger than he is. And I think Josh could guard a four. I don't think Josh would get killed. I mean, yeah. if you want to post up a four guy on Josh Okogie, and that's going to be your offense, I say good luck. I say have fun doing that, and, and I'll let you do that.
1: Yeah. Um. Unless yeah, unless it's a really big dude, like unless you're playing two big. Yeah, obviously that. Like yeah. if you're if you're playing a six foot seven, six foot eight, six foot nine guy at the four, like a lot of teams do, you know, 85% of teams are playing those big wings at the four. Like Josh can easily take one of those guys and he's proved time and time again that on the perimeter he'll be able to handle them comfortably and then in the post he'll at least hold his own. And, and teams aren't running post-ups as a you know, as a way to win games. Like they might run one occasionally here and there to try and get an easy bucket. In the playoffs. Because but... he's smaller. Yeah, but like no team in, during the regular season is running... Post ups as their main playset. Yeah, unless
0: you've got like an offensive, you know, fulcrum at the center spot, like a Jokic or a Davis or or someone like that, yeah. but or a, ba- or a Bam Adebayo. But uh, but even then, like I think they'd be matched up on cap, and that wouldn't be something that you'd have to worry about with, with Josh. Um, and who knows? I mean, if if Josh's shooting is improved, um, it'd be hard for it not to improve. Um, you know, I think <laughs> that becomes a really dangerous offensive lineup, and and one that I, I definitely think they should keep an eye on, just because. You know, if there's a place that Harris is going to go that, that isn't to a contender, uh, I think Minnesota would probably be near the top of the list just because, you know, we have option, we have sign and trade options. Um, we have, I mean, you can throw, I mean, I'd be fine getting up, giving up Jake Lehman or giving up, you know, James Johnson in a deal to trade like 17, 33 James Johnson for like Jared Allen and, and Joe Harris. Like, I would do that. That's yeah, that's an interesting sure. idea, um, but yeah, I th- I think that the Timberwolves have options there, and given his familiarity with D'Lo and, and Pablo Prigioni, um, who is a development coach out there in Brooklyn, that that both Harris and Russell have given a ton of credit to publicly. Um, I think it would be I think it would be fun for sure, and you can never have too much shooting. So um, yeah, and and like I said, moves like that I think are going to depend a lot on. On what the development of, of Jared Culver and Josh Okogie uh, has has turned into uh, by the time by the time yeah if they're, if they're games. confident
1: if they're confident that that one or both of those guys are going to shoot at a league average level I think you'll see them try and get guys who are more defensively minded just because they obviously need defense at, but there's a it there comes to a point where you can't run like you can't really run like this version of Joshua Cody, Jared Culver and like Derek Jones Jr. in the same lineup, just because it like, we only, you know, the team only just became a team that, that shoots three well. Yep. It, it would be pretty counterproductive just to immediately take all of that shooting away and focus on defense because then, then you're just middling in, in both areas. Like they're never going to be a great defensive team because they're, yep. the, the bookends are both bad at defense, but you need to find that happy medium where where you have some defensive-minded players, but you also need them to contribute offensively so that you can, can tread water there as well and, and kind of be a, a decent team on both Yeah, teams. and that's
0: why I think you're going to see Josh Okogi and Jarrett Culver probably s- spread out. Like, I don't think Culver Culver's going to start. I would, I would be shocked if he did, and I yeah. think Josh is going to start.
1: Um, and I think they won't really play a lot of minutes together. I, I would agree.
0: Um, and that's kind of another reason why I'd advocate for, for a guy like Akora, if the Wolves feel confident in those two guys' shooting abilities moving forward, just because, I mean, he does so many things for you uh, on defense, but, but I mean, he's so good without the ball in his hands when he's on offense, and we can get into it later. But
1: And he's and he's good just with the ball, and he is, as if it's not shooting... He's good. Like he is a ridiculously good slasher and a really good passer for his size. If he becomes
0: the thirty-five to thirty-seven percent shooter, there's no doubt in my mind that he will be the best player from this draft.
1: Um, Yeah, I've moved him up to four on my board, and that's the exact reason why. Because even even if he only gets to thirty-three percent, he's still going to impact the game in a lot of ways, and. Potentially be like an all defense guy, like he's that good defensively. I think he's gonna be a weapon. Can can really, yeah. I I think he's gonna
0: end up being a weapon in the playoffs by like the time he's a third or fourth year guy in the league.
1: And even with a low free throw percentage, like he's gonna get to the line so much because he's so strong and he's a really good finisher. Like if you don't foul him, he will finish. Yeah, and I mean he
0: was he was like a top fifty guy coming out of high school. And, you, and he spent yeah. one year at Auburn, which isn't exactly like a big powerhouse basketball program. I think that's another thing that people kind of need to think about when you're evaluating some of these draft prospects. Like, what's the school they've came from? What type of development coaches do they have? You know, how big yeah. of a basketball program is it? Like, getting him in an NBA strength and conditioning program, plus having him constantly work on, you know, those little skills like free throw shooting or something like that, I think, I think is going to be huge. But my main takeaway is that you know, I don't think there's a ton of guys out there that you could sign for that full MLE that would be that would that would fit in right away as well as Joe Harrison because of his fit. I think that he would move the needle more than some of those other names. And, and I, t- but the other thing I was going to mention is that I totally do get the argument for wanting to split that up into two guys, whether it be like a Derek Jones yeah. Jr. and a Myers Leonard or or someone like that. So.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think if there's one guy who's like, well, Jeremy Grant's stock has gone way out of the Minnesota's reach. I think if there's one guy whose stock has dropped, it's probably Jones Jr. Just, just he can barely get on the play, on the court right now in the playoffs. And Kelly Olynyk still a really good. Yeah, like so, he might be a guy that that during the season one would have thought maybe he gets the full MLE because he he's still young and and he's proving to be a really good defender and. A capable, you know, slasher and rim and rim runner, but now maybe he gets six million a year or, or seven million a year, and you can kind of do a little bit of that MLA to someone else, and, and that I think that would still be the the dream scenario. If you can, if you can get like a Mo Harkless and a Derek Jones Junior, like that's hitting it out of the park, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, so just we'll we'll transition into the draft prototypes, just because that's where I want to talk about with with Akora. and I think. Uh Canis Super's own Tyler Metcalf, he wrote an interesting and informative piece on, on the Jeremy Grant situation and how he's probably you know played his way out of Minnesota's price range. And the idea is that you still want to get someone who can cover that backside defensively, like as a rotation defender, and hold their own as much as possible on, sw- on smaller fours and on switches. And then obviously contribute offensively, either as a shooter or, or a rim runner or a slasher um he floated names like Precious Achua and, and Paul Reed who we, we've talked about Reed before we haven't really talked about Achua um both I'm um, skeptical on but I I do see the upside and the fit within that prototype that that we're looking at here um but I think Akoro like I think Akoro might be the guy more than all of those other guys like I know he's only 6 foot 6 but I think Okoro as a four really works and he could fill a lot of gaps defensively like we not we don't have to spend too much time talking about because we just did, but I just think Okoro as a four, a small ball four, uh, works a lot better than than people give credit, will give credit for just because of the 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 height that he has.
0: Yeah, and I think he does so many things off the ball, which are great too, like between tagging and um, and sliding in yeah. on pick and rolls and uh, and doing that type of stuff or digging was what I was looking for. Um, I, I think yeah. are really important. Like you, and, and I know we're going to talk later about Miami and, and L.A. Like one, one, one thing that both of those teams do extremely well, even even a guy like Tyler Hero has learned how to do it from just year one, one year, not even in the, in the Miami system, is, is tagging off the ball in the pick-and-roll, which I think is extremely important uh, just to have very, that kind very of important. communication and conversation with your big and whoever's with you on the back side. Uh, it is crucial. And I think that, that Okoro is a guy who's proven that he can do that at an extremely high level, uh, at Auburn and, and fly around curls and block guys at the, at the rim. Um, I, I just love everything about him as, as a prospect. And I think if you're looking for a guy that absolutely has that drive, the, when you're on defense, I want to, like, kill this guy at the rim or I want to totally clamp (laughs) this guy up or, or, uh, really just become the best possible version of himself that he can be. Um, he, he's the one guy that I would bet on to, to be really good, and he absolutely feeds off of crowd energy and totally gets the crowd going And between him and Josh Akogi. Um, if you like Josh Akogi, I, I'd encourage you to go watch Isaac Okoro, because he's a ton, a ton of fun. And I think he, he already right now has higher offensive upside than, than J.O. does. Um,
1: but... And, he's, and his size probably gives him more defensive upside as well, just because he can probably guard one through four. Like he guarded a lot of point guards at Auburn, especially you know when they they played a team with a really good point guard. Like he's guarded Kyra Lewis, he guarded Tyrese Maxey in the in the game I was watching the other day against Kentucky. Like there's there wasn't a matchup that he shied away from, or that he didn't yeah he and he's take with both he's hands lightning and run to with it laterally. As well, oh, which yeah. is which yeah. is
0: incredible. I mean, you add in the fact that he's you know 215, 220 pounds, and he's still lightning quick laterally. I mean, he's his frame is NBA ready, um, and you, th- you throw that in with with the agility that he has and in the, in the quick first step and burst he has off the dribble too, and he's got the ball in his hands. This is is insane. Like I just picture him coming off of flex cuts and Delo just throwing the ball and him just yeah. throwing down at people.
1: Yeah, and he's he's really like that. That intrigues me so much. The thought of him playing off the ball and, and jetting to the rim with, with delo who who really loves to find cutters. I, I know that he gets a lot of praise for his pick and roll ball handling, but our th- uh, pick and roll passing. But I think Russell is just as adept at, at finding cutters, especially on those back cuts and on those flex cuts. Like like you said, and, and Okoro will not stop cutting all game. I think the Cody comparison. Is apt in that kind of sense where they just like they just do shit, guys. Like they just they do things that help winning basketball, and they know they know how to win without stepping outside their comfort zone. Like he's not going to shoot six threes a game and miss them all. Like he might he might shoot one or two threes a game and and maybe maybe not hit either of them because he's not a great shooter, but he he knows what he does well and he does it often and I, I really like that
0: yeah and and he plays within himself too like i think that he's so like the thing that i think about too when i when i'm thinking about these prospects is what totally take it to the bank skill do they have that's automatically going to translate that they can rely on when things are not going their way whether it be shooting the ball or playing defense or whatever and and you think about Jared yeah. Culver, right? What what is Jarrett Culver's bankable skill that he has that just like automatically tran- would translate from college to the pros? There yeah. there is,
1: a and lot. I think it was I think it was the like coming out of college because it's definitely not the fact now is that I think the the thing people thought was that he he finished at the rim really well and he he does those little quick those little quick you know layup shots where he kind of just gets into the rim and quickly flicks it up like they looked really ugly this year and they just didn't go in. Yeah, but like and- at Texas tech, they went in all Yeah, the time. And my main point was
0: just that cover doesn't have that bankable skill. And a Okoro- Yeah.
1: Like, because that's, that's still iffy when you get to the next level, whether you can do that through bigger defenders and stronger, where like Akoro is an NBA ready defender flat, you know, flat stick. That's yeah. And, and, the,
0: and the one thing that I was going to, I was going to mention on the is like, yeah, I think that he's going to be a guy who's going to be a positive defender right away. But, um, but on offense, I do think he has that bankable skill of his—a uh, really aggressive, yeah. uh, an explosive slashing and cutting ability. Uh,
1: I think, and he's a gr- he's a great finisher. Like awesome he's a legitimately finisher. great finisher around the rim with both hands through contact. Like he's not your your prototypical you know guy who does everything on defense and nothing on offense. Like around the rim, he will score.
0: Yeah, and and you and you put him with a guy like Pablo Prigioni. Um, who has those chops as a development coach and has unlocked the the best out of D'Angelo Russell and Joe Harris and Karis LeVert Um, to to name a few guys. Like I I totally trust him to to help take Isaac Okoro's game to the next level. And I think the fact that he's got the work ethic and he's got the explosiveness and he's always locked in and looking to put pressure on the defense when he doesn't have the ball in his hands um, is just kind of a coach's you know, Dream foundation to build off of. Um, and yeah. and and I like I said, I you know, with how lazy defenders are in the NBA, especially off the ball, um, he, he's gonna make people pay. And if he's playing with a point guard like D'Lo, there's no doubt in my mind that, that D is gonna find him more often than not. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy.
1: What are you doing, later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. It's the
0: poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Yeah, and I think the only the only bad thing there is that. There's there's no chance they take him at one, and there's no chance that he falls to 17. So he's really only the kind of guy that, that ends up in Minnesota if a trade-down scenario unfails.
0: Yeah, and who knows? I mean, maybe the—and wall. And again, it, it comes down to, you know, how do you get the most value out of the number one pick? And in my opinion, like, yeah. let's say Chicago wanted to jump up to number one, right? What is Chicago picking? Four? Five? Yeah. I think four. four so Chicago's picking fourth Okoro would absolutely be there at four um I think that if you know we swapped with Chicago and they maybe gave us like Wendell Carter or someone like that and, and number yeah, four, and I think that, and I don't think
1: it has to be that much for it to be a good deal like if you get any positive asset. Like the the difference between Akoro and Anthony Edwards is slim, if any. Like it's just public perception that there's a the real difference. I think.
0: Yeah, but you look at like just his attitude, his just like drive and the dog inside of him. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, that is way more evident in Akoro than it is in, in Anthony Edwards. And, and Anthony Edwards' big biggest bankable skill is his shot creation and his offense. Like I think that Akoro's right. like. Defense is is going to be far more positive right away than than Anthony Edwards' offense would be, which is another way that I yeah, think about for it. I don't know. I mean, I would love for coro to like go to Golden State at two. I mean, i that'd be kind of a huge nuts on the table move by the Warriors to take a guy and like that. Movement. And
1: they they're the team that that I think if anyone's going to just prioritize fit over best player available, it's just going to be Golden State, and they're just going to be like, look, we've got. A great team, and we're just going to swing for the fences with a guy who can help us over the next two years immediately, rather than than planning for a post Steph or post-play future, because that'll happen down the road. Yeah, but
0: if they went small with, like, Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, Coro, and Draymond,
1: That's a great team, That'd be so (laughs) so much fun. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Um. So the the that kind of um how you're talking about Edwards. That's the other thing I think that Minnesota need to try and find in this draft is a is a, is a shot creator and, and another ball handler. Obviously, we've both of us have raved about how well Jordan McLaughlin played with with DeAngelo Russell and and how much better the the team offense operates when you have a two guys who can who can run pick and roll, who can who can find cutters, and also who can score for themselves and. I think Edwards is still the first guy that comes to mind there just because he he's right obviously in Minnesota's range well everyone's in their range, but like he's one of the top picks that that are on most guys' boards and I think like you said he he's off the dribble creation would definitely add another element to this team's offense like bees i I love Malik Beasley, but he doesn't really create for himself off the dribble he, he's he's a kind of guy who who needs someone to create for himself, or, or can, he can step into a you know, two dribble pull up. But Edwards is the kind of guy who can who can pull the ball back out and, and in a secondary pick and roll or in a side pick and roll and actually initiate offense. And I think it'll take some time before he can really grasp, you know, where where to pass and how and who to pass to. But he he flashed more than a few really really high level reads. At Georgia, and that's that's for a team whose spacing and whose uh, just teammates in general w- were really poor. But I think he's the guy that that sticks out to me. Killian Hayes is obviously the the guy that sticks out to me even more because he's number one on my board. I just don't see Minnesota taking him if they stay at number one. But he's a great shot creator and a, and a great um, you know initiator and, and passer. I think. There's a few other guys. Ball's obviously a wonderful creator, great touch around the rim as well. Um, and I'm really high on Kyle Anthony's ability to to become a very impressive shot creator and and someone who Minnesota should absolutely snap up if he falls to 17. But but are there guys in the draft that, that you see that you think could come in and be that ball handler, shot creator, whether it's next to D'Lo or behind him or someone who can just chew up you know, some usage as a, as a ball handler. Uh, yeah. The first
0: guy that pops to my head is Kira Lewis, Jr. From Alabama. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: so yeah. Kira is, is probably my second favorite point guard in the draft behind Killian Hayes. Um, yeah. I have Lamelo probably third behind those guys um, just because, yeah. you know, I, I think that the Killian's athleticism really does not put a ceiling on his game. I think he's, He's got a fantastic shot form, his base, and it, just his whole body balance is great. Shooting, he, he's really strong finishing at the rim with either hand through contact, over contact, um, or around contact. He, he really in his in his sophomore season, he really did a better job of of kind of learning how to play within his athleticism a little bit. You could tell his freshman year that yeah. he, he just had so much athleticism. He just really wasn't. He he kind of like he just couldn't control himself, really. And I think he kind of learned uh, better body control and kind of exhibited that uh, more in his sophomore year, as well as some, some different dribble combos into, into shots, like step backs and, um, and sidesteps and stuff like that that I thought was, was really impressive. And it's, and it's just a guy who can absolutely push the pace and transition and just put a ton of pressure on the defense. Um, if anybody's fallen asleep or if he's got a good switch on to him, um, he's a guy who I think could probably average, you know, 12 to f- 12 to 13 to 14 or 15 points a game coming off the bench. Um, just because yeah. I, I, I struggle to see, uh, a lot of, guy, a lot of bench players that, that would be able to guard him effectively just because he's that athletic and that quick off the dribble to a point where I think he could get into the lane and finish or draw fouls or you know, kick it out to open shooters. And again, it kind of goes back to my whole Joe Harris thing. Like if you have a guy like Joe Harris that allows you to push somebody like Malik Beasley to the bench or like a Josh Kogi to the bench, uh, which I think would just allow, allow your bench to, to score more points and, and you know, just, provide yeah, more of an offense yeah. just having more good players yeah. is exactly good. And, and i think Dekira would would make life easier for for a lot of other guys especially shooters um that he'd play with in the second unit which is intriguing um he's only 19 so he's 6'3 he's got a 6'3 wingspan he's got a pretty small frame i think he's only like 170 pounds but um but but definitely a guy that you know i, I would trust to, to put some weight on that frame and um and you know, not really lose much of his athleticism, just because it's—he's definitely the most athletic guy in this draft, in my opinion. Um, and, yeah. and outside of him, um, you know, I, I really like Desmond Bain, um, just because I—I I think he's really smart with the ball in his hands. He makes good decisions, and uh, he was really the only guy that TCU had down the stretch of games to to make big shots for them, and and showed the ability to do it um, off the dribble, um, and so. I think when you're looking at a shot creator in terms of creating for yourself, he's a, he's another good one. Um, and then another one that I think is going to be really good um, creating for others uh, is Malachi Flint from, from San Diego State. I think he's a terrific, terrific, yeah. Yeah, terrific ball. PNR player. Uh, potentially maybe even the best PNR player in the draft. Um, who, who just is really, really good when he gets going downhill, flying around a screen, you know, finding shooters or, or making pocket passes. Um, I, I like him a lot. And then um, Obviously, Ty, Tyrell Terry uh, from Stanford, I think that you know he's probably going to struggle a little bit in terms of his athleticism and, and getting around guys, but um, just in terms of getting the ball to shooters in their spots, um, especially in the pick and roll game, um, I think Ty's really going to succeed in open eyes just because I think he's a vastly underrated passer who can make just about any type of pass um, that, that you need a point guard to make. And then obviously with his shooting, um, I think he'll have legitimate shot gravity right away that um, should allow him to, to use, you know, a good array of pump fakes and, and head fakes that he has um, that should allow him to to kind of negate some of the, the, you know, the deficit that he'd have, um, you know, as an athlete uh, to kind of get going downhill yeah. and create for other guys. So those are those are kind of the four guys that that I really like. Um, but but if do you want to do you want a second round name here that, that I think is also going to be really good?
1: Yeah, yeah, throw yeah, throw um, him at me. Uh, I think Malachi Flynn has a chance to to drop to the second round. And if he does, like I, that was a really good call yeah. because he's such, he's moved into the twenties on my board, and he's just such a fun player. Like he would he like, he would be Jordan McLaughlin plus, you know, yeah, like yeah, he's, he's not quite as he's athlete. a better player yeah. than than JMA. Yeah, but he just he's really smart and really uh, does a lot of the right things on the floor and a really good defender. Like he he's very small, and that that size will. We'll show a little bit at the at the NBA level, but he was a great defender and really like just one of them really pesky guys, fights for everything. Like I, I love him. Who else have you got uh, that that you're kind of thinking of in the second round? The other round? person
0: that I was thinking of in the second round was uh, Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. Uh, you know, he he was primarily a scorer at Oregon, which I think was yeah. You know, I mean, he was a fantastic scorer. He's a wooden wooden award watch list guy uh, who really put Oregon on, on his back for for the whole entire season. Uh, but, but he's so good with the ball in his hands. He's so smart um, and, and has so many different good dribble moves that, around, that allow him to kind of slither past and through um, through the defense. And, and is so good at and making tough passes in the lane, um, as well as driving, you know, baseline and, and kicking out to guys um, like we've kind of seen. You know, I think there was a highlight from Josh Okogie that we saw in the bubble where. Uh, you know, he drove baseline and made kind of a crazy pass similar to, to what Jokic has done and, and passed it more yeah. back above the break rather than to, than to, the, than to the corner. And, and Pritchard can make kind of those passes. You know, He's only 6'2", but he's got a 6'5'' wingspan. Um, and he's competitive as hell. He's a winner and, and really made all those guys that he played with much better at Oregon. Um, and a guy who I think is going to be a really good player in the NBA for a long time. Um, I think if you're looking, he's got that,
1: he's got that old man game, Pritchard. <laughs> yeah. like, he never seems like he's going very fast, but he always ends up at any and spot. And he changes
0: speeds really, really well. Um, which yeah. is, which is really important, especially if you've got a really good handle. Cause that, that, I mean, look at Luca I mean, he's not explosive, but he's got a really, really strong handle and changes pace really, really well. And he's proven, you know, better than anybody that that can work. I mean, obviously Luca's a lot bigger, but, um, but you know, you've got to you've, if you know if you don't have the athleticism, you've got to be creative. And, and Peyton Pritchard um, is certainly creative, in a guy who you know, if you're looking to try and find the next Fred Van Vliet in the draft, um, you know, Pritchard, Pritchard, or Grant Riller are probably you know the two closest things that you can get you can get to him, and, and, and they're both guys that, that I think are going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, in
1: the NBA. Yeah, Grant. Yeah, Grant Riller. I don't know how I forgot Grant Rilla when we're talking about shot creators because he's maybe even the best in the whole draft. Like, just the ability to find his spot and those they step backs either way. He he's really fun, Grant Rilla. He's a guy who I definitely would have no problems with taking at seventeen and just you know run, running with it because I think he'll be a really good NBA player. Just so good around the rim. He he's gonna be a bad defender, but as a bench scorer. I think Grant Riller might be the best you know, in, in five years we are looking at guys who are who are still coming off the bench but a are, are giving you six man type output, I think Grant Riller will be the top of that. I list. would be so interested
0: to see what he would look like, like where he'd be on boards if he wasn't twenty three. Like if Grant Riller yeah, was twenty yeah. or twenty one, I think he'd be a top ten player in the draft easily.
1: Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. So. And if he played and if he played in a different at a different school, I still think he would have been not just like his his numbers might not have been as prolific, but like the skill set wouldn't have changed too much. Like on film, I think if if Grant Riller was at Kentucky and twenty one, he'd be a top five pick. Yeah,
0: I I think too this the small school bias I think is certainly real.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. So I think we'll leave that there. I'm sure I'm sure we'll talk more about the draft as we lead into it. There's not that long left. I think it's November eighteenth, so. Uh, about a month and a half before we can actually see what Minnesota do on draft night um, but for now there is there's the NBA finals on obviously the the biggest talking point in in basketball at the moment what what's stood out to you I know you have obviously been watching really closely and, and you've been uh, great with all your analysis throughout the whole final uh, the whole playoff series so like I want to know what you've seen in the play uh, in the finals? What's intrigued you? What you've kind of thought Minnesota should be doing this, or or Minnesota needs to take that from here? Like what stood out to you in, in the Lakers Heat series? So
0: what stood out to me the most is that um, having an elite big man, I think, really gives you a ginormous advantage in the playoffs um, because yeah. there's so few teams that have really good interior defenders that. Uh, that can stop stop guys without fouling and and keep guys off the glass. Um, so I, I I've seen the Lakers use Anthony Davis much more in the high post. Um, especially I mean you've seen it especially against against the Heat zone. He does such a good job of 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 making quick decisions with the ball in his hand, whether it be to attack or or kick back to to somebody else or find shooters in the corner. Um, it's really just yeah. kind of you know. Uh, you know, screamed at me that the cats really got to take another step forward as a passer. He did so last year, he made a bunch of great um, improvements with his vision and his passing and the types of reads that he was looking for. Um, And I think hopefully surrounding cat with more shooters or better shooting this year um, will allow that offense to just kind of take, take the next step. And if they want to win playoff games, I think using cat in as many ways as they possibly can, just like the Lakers are doing with Anthony Davis. Um, I think that I think that's that's something that, that's gonna have to happen um in the regular season. Uh if the Timberwolves wanna wanna be competitive. Um another thing that I've noticed is that uh, you can get away with having, you know, poor on ball defenders if you're able to play a zone and you have smart team defense.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, I wanted to mention the zone because the there's been so much zone th- throughout the whole I playoffs. I think
0: junking up the game and taking other teams out of the rhythm, especially when they've got, you know, ball handers that can just pick and roll you to death, whether it be Giannis or LeBron or uh, or a guy like Malcolm Brogdon who's really, really good for Indiana. Uh, the Heat have just done a great job junking up the game. And we saw Ryan Saunders turn a little bit more to zone, um, especially after the trade deadline last year. And I think that had a lot of that had a lot to do with the fact that they didn't really have much practice time to implement defensive schemes and concepts. Um, Yeah. But I think it's also a great way to, to practice communication and tagging and, uh, and just overall team defense. And I think that that's something that, that the wolves are going to have to do because they don't have the the individual defenders, especially with a guy like D'Angelo Russell uh, to, to make an impact. And, And you've seen kind of, Miami put length at the top of the zone with Jimmy Butler and Andre Iguodala uh, which I think is another yeah, thing. Yeah and then
1: keep the and then keep the guards kind of at the back of the zone yep. which uh, is really it's a really fun riddle to think about in terms of Minnesota. Yeah and
0: it's and it's going to be interesting cuz you have a guy like Josh Akogi, you could absolutely play play the tip there and then you could put you know a guy like Cat out there and, and and that's a scenario where I think if you if Jared Culver and Josh Akogi's shooting is improved to the point where you can play both of them out there together um, where it would be fun yeah. to see how they would kind of play together in a in a situation like that because I think both of them would be good. Um, and then another guy you should keep an eye on too if the Wolves play more zone is, is Jalen Noel uh, because Jalen Noel played uh, for Mike Hopkins at Washington um, and, and they almost exclusively run a zone, a trapping zone at that.
1: Yeah, um, and they and they were really good defensively that and year I think as well. Jalen
0: Noel was he a defense? He was he all defense at Washington?
1: I think he might have been and and he was alongside uh Thibel as well wasn't he in that defense I think.
0: Yeah, he uh I'm going to look this up. Yeah, cuz I'm curious. Yeah, he uh Yeah. No. Cuz
1: they were re- yeah, they were really good they were really good defensively as a team though and they they like you said they almost exclusively played zone. So it it's and it's it's an easy kind of plug and play scenario with him and I think it's just zone is just uh a system where you don't have to think as much, which I think is good for towns. When he starts to overthink things, that's when he he becomes a bit reachy and he and he gets caught in between positions when he's trying to do too much. Whereas the zone, it kind of it kind of simplifies his role even more than a drop steam does. And then, um, it, Russell will have to kind of play between two guys, but but it, you don't have to play on ball with the the strength deficiency that, that D'Angelo Russell has o- over some of these guards um, isn't as isn't as pronounced in the zone. Like, I think it's something that they really should be running every game. Not exclusively by any means. You still need right. to have a really solid pick and roll coverage because that's the NBA. Like, you can't run a zone 24-7 and, and expect to win a lot of games. But like you said, you jump up the game, you know, throw different looks at teams rather than just letting Towns drop into pick and roll and, and then just kill you with it every time i think just throwing different things out there it will be a really important thing and i I expect them to do it as well yeah it
0: makes me really excited too to think about how jared vanderbilt might get deployed as well um just because if if you're able to selectively throw him out there to just play really smart defense and utilize his athleticism and space on defense um i think that would be that would be something that that's pretty incredible. Um, it, a pretty incredible development if, if he's able to give you good minutes on defense. Um, so, so that's just, those are, those are a couple things that, that I've noticed, uh, that I think could immediately translate. Um, but then the other thing too is, uh, the way that the Lakers use Anthony Davis, um, really as a screener, um, as like a screener who then turns into a, a shooter as part of an action which I think are interesting. Something that something that I've seen the Lakers do and I've taken note of is is the Lakers will run a play where they they kind of have a double a double so stagger screen for a shooter coming off the corner. So like it's KCP, right? But what'll happen yeah. is is instead of having KCP fly around, they'll have KCP stop like right where Davis is, and then screen Davis's guy and kind of tighten up with the other screener. So it's it's been Caruso in some instances, um, in other instances it's been Dwight Howard, um, and they kind of almost elevator doors it on the wing for Davis to get a wide open look f- uh, from three. And I think that's something that would be really interesting to do if if you're Minnesota, just because you can get Malik Beasley on like a side pin down or a side curl or a double stagger like that um neither get him going to the lane or have Cat slip and go to the basket or have like a, a Jake Lehman slip and go to the basket um or, or you can yeah. have Cat pop out um uh, which or just have turn that then into a pick and roll and have like Malik Beasley operate in pick and roll I don't know there's just so many things that you can do creatively with a side ball screen um yeah or, excuse me, a, a side screen either with the ball or without the ball is what I should say.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I don't think Saunders did that enough last year. I don't think he ran enough plays. Like, obviously Towns had his best season yet as a shooter and uh, he was really, really good, like we all know that. But I think there there's more wrinkles that, need, that can be ran rather than top of the key trailing three or like the... The little fake pin down that they run where he kind of goes to set the pin down and then and then just takes a step back and kind of feigns the pin down and shoots the three like I think you can run towns off pin downs himself coming through the from the baseline like you can run the elevator doors like you were just kind of saying, like run kind of variations of of the elevator doors like there's Towns is the best shooting big man on the planet, and like you need to leverage the fuck out of that, yeah, and <laughs> like, I think the other thing too yeah.
0: is um is the Lakers also run a good amount of flex screens, uh, which and for people, if you don't know what that is, an option of, or flex screens often have multiple options. And so the best example I can give of that is um, a team going 1-4 high-low. So there's one guy at the top of the key. Uh, In this case, it would probably be Russell. Then you have four guys spread out kind of along the baseline. Um, And let's say that you have two guys at the block, two guys in the corners, right? So, what the Lakers have done is they've had Anthony Davis screen, screen the screen the guy in the corner, and Anthony Davis is facing the baseline. And so you'll have Caruso then fly around the screen, cutting to the basket. And because Anthony Davis, they respect his shooting ability so much, it pulls the defense Anthony Davis's primary defender further away from the basket, and allows Caruso to have more space to catch the ball and then go up and finish. Um, and yeah. so I think. Cat would be awesome with that, especially if you're playing with a guy like Jake Lehman who, uh, who has said publicly that he has the green light to cut whenever he wants. Which, in my opinion, just shows the trust that that the that the team and the coaching staff has in him as a cutter and shows his viability yeah. as a cutter.
1: Um, and he's really quick over over short distances as well. Yeah. Like. And, and he's big. a great
0: finisher around the rip, too. So, um, yeah. so I think using kind of more actions like that. I think would be would be a lot of fun um, essentially just to kind of allow Towns's shot gravity to make the game easier for everybody else, but also to yeah kind of use for him to kind of like have him utilize that gravity to, to make better reads if that makes sense. like the pressure that, that he yeah. puts on the defense and how far he pulls guys away from the basket should simplify reads for him and should allow more guys to cut. But the problem with the Wolves over the last two years is they haven't had enough guys who can cut. And so my thing is if you're not going to draft a guy who's an immediate plus shooter in the draft, you absolutely have to get a guy that can put pressure on the defense in a different way. Whether it be Killian Hayes, you know, running the twos or his shot creation or or what have you, (laughs) like in a coral, they can, just pressure the hell out of the defense with cutting and attacking the basket, um, are just things that, that absolutely need to need to be on this Wolves roster. And um, and, and you know who knows? Maybe maybe Jared Culver and Josh Kogi have both improved as, as slashers and have better hands. But,
1: yeah, because Josh is a really good cutter. Like, but he can't do anything off the catch really with the ball in his yeah. hands. Like, yeah. But without the ball, you know, he he was he was on that team that that pre-deadline team that had no shooting he was pretty much the only pressure valve for for towns when he was in the post because josh was the only one who would dive to the rim but but like you said and i completely agree like you need if you cannot shoot you need to do that often and, and colvin needs to get a lot better at that because that you know if you can get yourself downhill and, and catch and rise like that that's an easy way to get points and an easy way to put pressure on the rim how, so i, I completely how agree players do the
0: miami heat have that can Get
1: their own, and they just don't stop moving at was, all. in Miami, like their offense is so how impressive. How many
0: players do they have that can go get a bucket on their own?
1: Two, yeah, like Two? not. They have Jimmy yeah, not and a lot.
0: Tyler like born Dragic, so three.
1: yeah. Crowder, Crowder won't do it. Um, like Duncan Robinson doesn't do it. I don't think he's shot a shot at the rim for you know the the entire season. Like. Bam can't do it from the perimeter. Really, like he he can handle the ball well for a center, but he's not going to break someone down off the dribble. Like, yeah, like they they've got their their shot creators, which are extra important for them because they need those those ball handlers and creators to do a lot of work. But then the rest of the guys just move 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 all game. Like they Duncan Robinson running off doubles triple screens, like you know re screens and into like that handoff into pick and roll action, like. That I don't know why they can't like Timbers can't do that with Malik Beasley and Talonny Towns like that's the stuff that they should be taking from the finals and, and really implementing in their own games.
0: Yep, is just they constantly get open shots because people are always moving. Um, and if and if Jalen Noel is able to provide some more minutes for them this year, um, just given you know how good he is without the ball in his hands and how good he is curling off his screens and. And shooting away from the ball. Um, you know, he, he could be a guy that that I think will be a monster sneaky, like a sneaky monster piece for the Wolves once he is ready to go at the NBA level or able to to somehow translate the forty four percent on seven attempts he shot in the G League to consistent NBA
1: production from three. Yeah, like, he was nutty. He was, like, really, really, really good in you, the I League. mean, he was like arguably the best lot, shooter in the G League. Yeah, like, obviously a lot of NBA guys and draftees go to the G League and play really well, but, like, yeah, like, he was an all-time shooter in the G League. That's how good he was this season. So, like, I just, I don't believe the three for 26 or whatever he shot at the NBA level will ever, you know, be what he is in, in general. Yeah, what was he
0: here? He was yeah, he was three of twenty six. Good God! Yeah,
1: it was like him
0: and Keelan, dude. Um, they just once they see like a couple go in, it's just gonna be bombs away. I think.
1: Yeah. Um. So the last thing, the one thing I I wanted to talk about, which is uh, a bit more simplistic, I guess, than steams and stuff, which I love to talk about, but I think that that the one thing that will excite a lot of people, a lot of Wolves fans and and that we should really keep an eye on is just the fact that the Lakers are right now dominating a very good team by playing two legitimate bigs. Like obviously Anthony Davis can do a lot on the floor and he's not, you know, your your simplistic Clint Capella Dwight Howard kinda kinda big. But like Dwight Howard's next to him and it's a copycat league and, and the trends always shift to what the champions did to make themselves champions, and besides having LeBron and AD, like the willingness to play Dwight Howard, who's at the moment nothing more than a rim runner and a a fairly inconsistent rim protector. Like he he obviously is still pretty good and really strong, but like he has these moments where he's not not in position and whatnot. Like the willingness to have him on the floor for heavy minutes and have actual tangible success. Uh, that should be some wind in the sails for, for proponents of, of Minnesota pairing Towns with another big who who covers his weaknesses defensively and, and lives at the rim on offense. Like, I'm not sure who that guy is. Like, is it Onyeka Konwu? Like, is it a cheap free agent? Like, a you know, Mason Plumlee who or someone like of that ilk? Um, or whether they just, you know, refuse to entertain the idea at all. But I think it's definitely a step away from the ultra small ball kind of era that we'd been in and, and, and something that really should be worth keeping an eye on for the front office and, and for fans. And as I well. thought it
0: was interesting too, that Ryan Saunders uh, mentioned multiple times, not that they wanted to emulate what Houston was doing, but that they wanted to emulate more of what Toronto was doing. Um, and and I thought that was really fascinating, and just because Toronto is so creative with how they use two bigs. Because I mean, the three bigs that they, they yeah. mainly carried were uh, Boucher, Gasol, and, and Ibaka, um, all three of whom could potentially not be back with them next season. Um, so Ibaka, yeah. or, excuse me, Gasol is reportedly going back home to Spain. Um, shout out to him on, if that's him. If that's it for him in on NBA on the NBA level, um, big big shout I'm out to right him him on Gasol. Um, so happy for him. Uh, but, but a guy like Chris Boucher, I think is intriguing just because he's shown the ability to step out and shoot the three and he's crazy athletic, um, on the backside trying to block shots. And I think if you want to really empower cat, I think you want to kind of get him to, to defend guys away from the rim as well. Um, and and really have that backside defender there. And the wolves have never really had a backside defender. I mean, come. R- Rocco was was there as a backside defender, some too, um, which is great. But he's just not quite the shot blocker that a guy like Boucher could be, just because Boucher.
1: Yeah, and he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that size to really be an intimidator.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, but when you're looking at a guy like Chris Boucher, and he's got a seven foot four wingspan, and he's really athletic, um, I, I think that that's that's something that that intrigues me. Um, but but yeah, the two big thing is, is definitely something that's going to have to happen. Um, it's just a matter of of kind of who that big is. Like it's unfortunate that there just aren't really that many out there right now for the Wolves to try and go get. Um, you know, I think it would be interesting if they got a guy like Jared Allen, just because he's such a good shot blocker and interior presence defensively, um, and he's yeah. really not all that expensive. Uh, and I, and I think you could see. You know, interior shot blockers like that become a little bit more expensive just because we're seeing the value that that interior shot blocking has, especially with these two teams in the finals, um, with Bam and and a guy like Dwight Howard, uh, you know, just making things way easier for for the guards there and allowing them to be more aggressive, which I think is great. Um, but a guy like Jared Allen, you know, he's like still on his rookie contract. Uh, so four years, ten million, and he's got lot next year he's in, in there for, for three point nine mil, I and mean, he's got a qualifying offer the following year. So I, I think that you know, looking at a guy like him, I think is he's gonna be a casualty from from what's going on there in Brooklyn. Could be an easy guy to, to swoop up, but um my 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 three biggest things for a big that you know the wolves are gonna potentially get to play two bigs with cat are one, they have to be able to defend the interior and defend the backside. Communicate really well, yeah. Um, and I think yeah. again, you know, the Jared Allen's familiarity with with D'Angelo Russell, I think, would be huge because he's shown the ability to to help prevent those lineups from getting killed while also being on the floor with D'Lo. And then three, they've got to be able to, to, you know, be P and threats um, because you know yeah. you could use Cat as a short roll passer and then hit hit that second big, or you can have Cat posted up in the corner and have him used as a spot up shooter. Um, or like we said, you know, maybe it's a PNR and then while a PNR is going on, you also have a secondary action of like, you know, elevator doors for cat or something like that. While a guy like Allen is rolling to the rim or something like that. I just think it would be so hard to guard the wolves like that on three levels, whether it be cat at the three point line, D low in the mid range, and then a big down low in the paint with the defense all pulled out. Um, yeah, yeah I just think when you have a guy like cat, whose shock gravity is so legit and insane for a center. Um, you have to have to have to be able to put a second big in there to put pressure on the rim, so you can fully utilize Cat. Um, you know, as a guy that that can just make life easier for everybody and open things up at all three levels of the defense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think, and I think at some point they will. I think that this, I think this season, I think that the way they're talking about it, obviously that they're, they're going to talk up all their guys, but. I think they might give Jared Vanderbilt a chance to be not the starter but to, to get minutes with towns here and there off the bench. Like I think I think unless they can acquire a free agent who's a four or, you know, uh someone as a as a trade partner who, who brings back a four. I think that Vanderbilt will get some minutes as a four. I don't think they're gonna re sign Wancho and if they do, I think it'll be They should. In a lesser role. Like They they really shouldn't. Like, he's the, the, the fit is atrocious at the moment. Like, he can shoot, but he doesn't do much else. And we don't need to get into that because we're, we've run a while for now. But, yeah, I, I think two beads is something to definitely keep an eye on and more of a possibility than it was, you know, a month or two ago because the Lakers are probably going to win the championship starting two legitimate centers. Yeah. Would you trade
0: seventeen and thirty three for Jared Allen, like seventeen thirty three and like Spellman for Jared
1: Allen? Um, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I mean, I without think I think Brooklyn. Even if you don't want to play too bigs, even if you don't want to play too bigs, like he can. If you want to put him as a backup, do you know what I mean. Like, if you didn't get him for that, you can do what you want with him. And I think they would. They should start him. But like, he's a good player, and he's better than any center on the roster. Not named after town any towns, so and he's better than any like, center in free no too.
0: That's going to be able to yeah, yeah, that, and yeah. he's going to be better than any guy they can take in the draft. Uh, my thing yeah. is at seventeen, I worry that um, you know any impact big guy isn't going to be there. Like I don't think Patrick Williams is going to be there, um, and mm-hmm. then outside, I, I
1: think Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith might be the one that that's probably yeah. There. I don't
0: think Precious Achua is going to be there either at, at seventeen. Um, I mean, the other guys you, you start yeah, thinking of are like Xavier Tillman, but he's more of a facilitating big rather than like a defensive stalwart. And then you know you're looking at a guy like Jalen Smith, who I, for all intent, I, I think Jalen Smith could end up being a really good player. Um,
1: but I think the idea of him is better than the actual I, I agree, product I of him 100%. right now. Uh, and like he's a he's a shot blocking, three point shooting bead, but he's not really great at. Anything. But again, what
0: have we seen Gerst do? We've seen Gerst go out and yeah. try and get these guys who are restricted free agents who they can, they can retain their rights to. And if that guy plays really, really well, then, you know, they can sign and trade that guy. And, and you know, Jared Allen is going to be a restricted free agent after next season. Um, so maybe it's just like a one-year tryout and they bring him back if it works. And if they doesn't, then you can probably ship him out for a late first-round pick or, you know, another type of guy that you – can bring in to, to be valuable. Um, I think that that's a yeah. really low. I mean, trading seventeen, I think would be a really low risk bet for for a guy like Jared Allen. Um,
1: yeah, especially when you have the first pick in the draft. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. It's not like it's not like you've moved all your draft capital. Like you still have the most valuable draft pick that there is. So moving seventeen to thirty three, like if you walk out on draft night and that's the only trade you make, if you if you walk out of draft night with Jared Allen and Anthony Edwards, like I think you've done it okay. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think that instantly raises the Timberwolves ceiling quite a bit. Um, yeah, you know, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, if the if the Timberwolves do end up keeping the number one pick and trade, maybe they trade the number one pick if the, if he plays really well at the next deadline to try and get you know a guy who wants out or something like that. It'd be interesting, but I mean, if you had a guy like Jared Allen, and and let's say the Wolves end up getting like getting a Ben Simmons somehow. And you're able to put out a lineup that has D'Angelo Russell, you know, Ben Simmons, Carl Anthony Towns, and Jarrett Allen. Like, that's... That's a squad. That's a squad, dude. Like, that, I mean, yeah, you can talk about spacing problems, but... Yeah, I mean, then if you are able to... You know, maybe Jalen is a good shooter. Maybe, you know... I don't know, maybe Ben Simmons... I was able to make life easier for shooting on <laughs> the outside too. I mean, I just think that 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 lineup would be so interesting, and is something that I think is relatively feasible um, if you're Minnesota. Like, I think I don't think I don't think it's going to take much to try and get a guy like Jared Allen out of Brooklyn. Um, just because I don't think yeah. he fits there necessarily with with what they want to do, and they're already trade speculation uh, with with uh, Brooklyn trying to trade him and Dinwiddie to. New Orleans for for Drew Holiday, um, so yeah, I mean it just fits the mo of of kind of what Gerson and Gupta are kind of all about in terms of trying to acquire these low risk guys that have the potential to really move the needle for you. Um, and, yeah, and that, yeah, that is that is what Allen is. So
1: yeah, well, um, yeah, we'll leave it at that for today. I think that was um. There's a lot of things that we kinda of powered through there, a lot to unpack, but I thought that was really good. I thought that um I think that yeah, those things, especially in the finals, are, are things that we should look out for. The way they use Davis, the, the the two big men, um, and just and especially like you said, that there was a really good point, the movement offensively from, from both teams, but mainly the way that Miami really power powerhouse, you know, uh sorry run a powerhouse offense um through movement. So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Um, as usual, you can you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow Jack at uh, J R Borman thirteen. And um, yeah, thanks again for ha- for coming on, Jack. Yeah,
0: absolutely, man. Always a pleasure, and uh, and I hope things are are going well down there.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're they're improving. So um, still in lockdown, but but we're we're getting by over here. There we go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I'll see everyone. I'm sure we'll have Jack on in the next few weeks again, and. And I'll see everyone else uh, soon. Like, rate, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, yep, Jack. Thanks, man.